0: Today's episode is brought to you by Airtable. Airtable makes it easy to create a completely custom editorial calendar that can evolve along with your team. And it plays nicely with Slack, too. Join the content teams of places like BuzzFeed Motion Pictures, Group 9 Media, and Condé Nast Entertainment. Visit Airtable.com recode to get $50 off and free credits. Today's show
1: is also brought to you by HP. They've got a new podcast they want you to check out. They're going to tell you about that podcast right now. What does machine learning have to do with autonomous driving? How do you build a powerful open source community? Will the cloud really consume the world? Tune in to Stack That, a new podcast from Hewlett Packard Enterprise, to dive into the world of emerging trends and learn how you can leverage this tech for the benefit of your business. Each week, our hosts Byron Reese of GigaOM and Florian Leibert of Mesosphere will tackle a new topic with the help of guests from Airbnb, Google, Confluent, and other industry experts. Check out Stack That on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and news.hpe.com. And make sure to subscribe so you don't miss the latest episodes. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That's me. I
0: am part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I am here at Vox headquarters in New York City with Jenk Uger, CEO of Young Turks. The Young Turks. I got the title right. Did I get your name right? Yeah, perfect. Hooray! <laughs> Interview is over. Welcome. That is usually the hardest part. We're on smooth sailing from here. Yeah. I think of you guys as the YouTube network for progressives, lefties, that gets talked about a bunch, but somehow doesn't get to the same conversation level as some other media companies with similar aims. So you tell your story, then we can talk about sort of how you fit into the landscape. Sure. Here, let's, um, let's go big picture. Young Turks is? Uh, the largest online news
2: network in the world, um, certainly for millennials. Uh, we beat CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News combined. Uh, I figured
0: we should have a whole sidebar about metrics, but yes. so let's go very big picture. So you guys are primarily a news conversation on YouTube primarily, right?
2: Well, yes and no. So uh, online news, yes, definitely. Uh, we started on YouTube, YouTube's our home, but also on Facebook, Hulu,
0: Roku, Pluto, all the different platforms. And when you say news, it's, it's video. It's, yes. it's, it looks something like cable TV news, right? People, it does. People yep. at a desk talking about the day's that's news. Right. That's, that's right. So forfeit. we do facts first, then commentary. Right. So, but you don't have like an online news gathering operation, right? Generally. Well,
2: that's uh, we recently started one. Normally, historically, we have not. Uh, but after Trump got elected, we raised uh, money from the audience and uh, started uh, an investigative
0: reporting team. And the audience gave us two million bucks. So that's a nice. It's a nice start. But you've also raised money from traditional venture capitalists. You also raised money from Buddy Roemer. Roemer, yes, Romer. that was a convertible note. But again the, the primary format is you you're the you're mm-hmm. the CEO but also the primary host mm-hmm. and you guys are talking about the news of the day. I'm a little confused. Cause it looks like there's a free version and then also a, a paid service. That's right. So You can watch it live, and that's the flagship show and all the shows.
2: You could also watch them on video on demand uh, later on YouTube and Facebook primarily, but like I said, on many other platforms too. But if you want to get all the shows ad-free anytime you want, Mm -hmm. that's when you sign up for a subscription on TYTnetwork.com, by the way.
0: And there are podcasts, there's Uh, multimedia. Yeah,
2: audio and video podcasts once you're a member. You've
0: been at this for a long time, right? Yes. This is not something you hatched last week.
2: No, no. I didn't just graduate from Stanford and with a really good idea and a good dad. No, if you uh, did, you wouldn't be in media. <laughs> uh, 15 years. We started um, as the first original talk show for
0: series Satellite Radio. Right. So you started in radio, went online, yep. and you've gone back and forth on and off TV, off traditional linear TV. Is there, yep. is there a traditional linear TV play today? So we do original programming, and so we did a, f- a show for Fusion in
2: 2016 um, that we licensed out. We have a show coming up for Verizon Go 90 called True North. That's going to be fantastic. We've so we do some deals, and sometimes occasionally on TV. Uh, but and you've you've been a guest host on MSNBC. Yeah, so I was a, a their primary host for six o'clock for a year, and back in 2010, 2011. Uh, I was on as a host on Current TV for two more years after that. So I did some cable news, but we kept the Young Turks going as a separate show
0: and entity throughout. And I was looking at some of the old clips. There's one that's old enough that someone refers to you as the Tila Tequila of the left. I don't even know if that was meant to be a, a compliment or not. Was confusing. Yeah, I'm a little confused by that too. But I'm going to don't look anything like Tequila.
2: tequila. You think so? Um, I'm going to take it as coulders could not be a compliment.
0: (laughs) I'm going to take it as I'm just that sexy, incredibly sexy man. (laughs) What What is the impetus to start the site? Traditionally, there have been a bunch of right wing, conservative leaning media companies and or shows and or networks for a long time. Very often on on radio, periodically someone says we should start one of those for the left. I'm always generally amused. doesn't work what was your thinking when you started
2: yeah so well first of all i'm always amused that like oh we should start something on the left that's maybe news maybe online maybe video um well i beat you to it by about 12 years um so but that's a, like that's establishment thinking because they've never actually gone online uh, the furthest online that anyone in washington has ever gone is uh probably a podcast, you know, crooked media, good guys, but that's probably as far online. Which by the way as... didn't exist until a year ago. That's right. And and no one in Washington had ever gone online until a year ago. And uh, and they're like, "Oh, Donald Trump beat us with uh, half the money and he went digital. Mm-hmm. Let's try a podcast." So, we've been doing this a long time. It's so long that it's uh, we don't we didn't conceive it of a, as something that had to be a response to the right-wing right-wing Barely even existed at the time. What
0: was, was – Online. W- did you think I want to start something that is a news network or, or news conversation and we're going to do it online or we'll do it on the radio? Or did you think I want to do something that's a news conversation that's lefty and let's find a place to do it? Yeah. So three different ways that I looked at it. Number one, I've always wanted
2: my own talk show. And so it's just that simple, and it, it 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 wasn't a heroic effort to be the left of something or mm-hmm. other, et cetera. No, I love doing talk shows. You like shows. talking. Yeah, and I want to do a talk show. That's how it started 15 years ago. And my uh, co-host at the time, Ben Mankiewicz, he, he loved the idea of talking about the news, sports, entertainment, all the things that we care about. Then uh, the second por- portion of it was I actually really, really believed in online video. Uh, and and I, this
0: is this is the, uh, the, what well, year? even
2: when we started in '02 and we were just a radio show. Even back to '98, I wrote an email to my friend saying online video is going to
0: beat television. So pre YouTube, pre several years. Yes, I uh, back I've when always, online video was really difficult to make and to distribute and to watch. You had to download a different player depending on what the publisher was and what kind of machine you had. And the uh, video quality was disastrous. Yeah, you would download uh, and then walk away and come back an hour later and you could watch a five minute BMW ad.
2: Yeah, and we were and we were there. We're actually the oldest stream on the internet. We've been daily live since December 12th of 2005. So we were arguably way, way too early. But that's because I, I just believed about 20 years too early that online video was going to eventually topple TV. And we're in the middle of it now. The third part of it is being progressive. And what happened there was uh, we started and uh, as a show that we described as – Half about politics, because that's what we cared about, and half about J-Lo's ass. Uh, that was back in, you know, 02. Uh Now it would be Kim Kardashian. But uh, I don't know why you would dismiss J-Lo. <laughs> well, still she's still around. That's right. Person. I just saw a magazine cover of J-Rod. But, uh, but then things got really serious. We invaded Iraq. We started torturing people. And there was no one on the left, as far as we perceived it, other than Amy Goodman, who was uh, at a national level saying, wait, don't go into Iraq. That's a really, really, really bad idea. And we did, and then we became an oasis in the media uh, for the left. So we built that and built that, and we got more and more outraged at what Bush was doing, and our audience grew and grew. And then they folks really responded to it the minute we went on
0: YouTube. I, I want to talk more about how you started and, and YouTube's importance, but I want to go again back to just scale and sort of where you are in, in, mm-hmm. in the the media landscape. Who are you competing with for your audience's time? Do, are they someone who's going to go listen to a Crooked Media podcast and check you out and watch MSNBC if they relying exclusively on you? Were they someone who watched Jon Stewart back when John Stewart was on TV? Who's your audience? So our
2: audience is predominantly young, 70%, 18 to 34. So The Daily Show would have been uh, probably our biggest competitor if you looked at it in the old way of looking at things. But in reality, of course, you can watch both. And but I do get a lot of people on the street saying, I used to watch The Daily Show, and now I watch you guys. So it's not – we're not competing with CBS Evening News with – is it Jeff Glor, <laughs> who might be their new anchor? So, I, can't, I couldn't tell you Yeah, the problem. Exactly right. So, no, those guys are you know, 60, 70 years old, their average audience. But so is cable news. Cable news is yeah. 61, 64, 68. That's CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News. They're ancient. So it's – uh, but I'll, I'll take MSNBC's audience. I Literally, I will take them. And so I guess it's a competitive set in a sense. But digital media is so large
0: that it's not really a zero-sum game. And I've had a bunch of people in, in the last year. We've talked about Trump and what Trump has or hasn't done for their audience. Did you guys see a Trump bump last fall, this year? Last fall, we saw a much bigger Bernie bump because you went in on hard on Bernie Sanders you, you were a, an early supporter for Bernie Sanders yeah uh, I am an
2: early middle Bernie and, bro. Uh, I'm an early middle and late supporter of Bernie Sanders let's leave aside the phrase Bernie bro sure uh, okay and but it wasn't just that we were supporters um, Bernie does great online uh, to the great frustration of everyone in power and then uh, Trump of course that does uh, do better than the average incredibly dull politician. And now the Trump
0: videos do do pretty well, yes. So you had an audience that was increasing throughout the election because you were riding the Bernie Sanders way. People who were interested in Bernie Sanders were also paying attention to you or more of those folks. Trump spurs more interest. Do you think about sort of how you keep the people who came to you because they found out about you through Bernie or they found out about you through Trump or they, they stumbled on you through a Trump video? Mm-hmm. Are you going out of way, your way to sort of think about – how we serve those people or that's – you're just doing what you do and they come with it out? So yes and no. The the no is no. We just do the show
2: that we do and we – I would argue we're lucky that we happen to be on that side of the issue and, and that's where most of the online audience is and that's why they like us. Uh, it's among the reasons why they like us. Uh, but if you try to cater too much to what you think the audience wants, then you're going to lose your authenticity. And so I'm willing to piss off my audience and I have on many uh, instances uh, just to make sure that
0: they know that we're honest because uh, that's our brand. The related question I'm talking to you uh, late-ish November is whether your audience as general are getting tired of Trump news, tired of politics, tired of the intensity – Mm -hmm. Right. Every week, there's a new outrage. There's a new alarm. There's new terrible legislation, which may or may not get passed and that people are being asked to pay attention to. How do you keep that audience engaged and or not fatigued?
2: Yeah. So it's not that so much. There's two different audiences, Peter. So one is the general broader audience. And yes, they like uh, Trump videos. Uh, Then there is your core audience. So, for example, we have a subscription model and we have subscribers that give us $10 a month. For the core progressive audience, they don't want to overemphasize Trump news. Uh, They would rather hear much more about the structural issues that's wrong with our government and change. And we've been anti-establishment since we started. Uh, So – they actually get pissed at if you do too much Trump news. And oftentimes they have to explain to folks, hey, listen, guys, I hear you, and no one else is talking about uh, Mark Warner's financial bill, which is a... Uh you know, give away to payday loan industry. uh, And we are. But at the same time, I do have to talk about Trump's tweets because he might start World War Three with North Korea. And that is super important and relevant. We're not just doing it for video count or anything like that. It's
0: because he's the president, whether we like it or not. He may be tweeting for the lulls or the attention. But yeah, it's it's a difficult thing for a lot of news organizations, media companies. How, How do we treat a Trump utterance? Is it a joke? Is it policy? Mm-hmm. The whole world has that problem, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and my argument is, yeah, of course it's relevant. I mean if Kim Jong-un wakes up one morning and takes it the wrong way, a million people die in South Korea. So you got to cover it. It's, he's no longer – you know, we used to – we had a ban on Trump way before he ran. Uh, we had – and before he was relevant in, in this sphere at all, we banned him because we thought he was a poser, not because we disagreed with him, but because we thought everything he was doing was fake, which is funny now that you yeah. look back at uh-huh. it. There's only two people we'd ever banned, him and Ann Coulter, because we just didn't believe you
0: – Yeah, know, they were trolls, right? They were, they were just trolls. They wanted a reaction.
2: Yes. So we had to unban him uh, during the primaries. Um, first, we started blocking out his face uh-huh. as kind of a hybrid. Yeah. And then we finally gave up.
0: Yeah. Huffington Post tried a version of that. We we're going to cover him, but we're going to call him entertainment. And, then, and he was. He was entertainment. And then he was
2: apparently, unfortunately, entertaining enough to 35 percent of the country that he won.
0: There's an Esquire writer, Charles Pierce, who will write about him, but won't refer to him by name and mm-hmm. uses an asterisk which seems of beside the point we, we get who he's talking about yeah. we're going to take a quick break we're going to hear from a fine sponsor maybe two we'll be right back with Cenk today's show is brought to you by Cameron Hughes Wine it's the holiday season that means it is also wine season it's hard to find good wine at great prices unless you go to Cameron Hughes they make it easy for anyone who loves wine to get fantastic wines at everyday prices Cameron Hughes finds great wine from top wineries all around the world they blend them They sell them directly to you. No middleman under their own label for 50% less than what you'd pay at retail. I've drank this stuff. I just had some recently. It's great. The holidays are here, so they have a great offer for Recode Media listeners. Free shipping on three or more bottles and a free sommelier-grade corkscrew. Corkscrew is nice, but free shipping is a huge savings. Wine is heavy. It's expensive to ship. They will do that for free. This is a great deal for holiday parties. This is a great deal for drinking with a small group of people that you like. doesn't matter how you do it. You'll like it. The wine's fantastic. It's a fantastic deal. Go to chwine.com. Use my code Peter at checkout. That's chwine.com. Enter code Peter. The holidays are here, so go to chwine.com today. The holidays are coming up, and we all know what that means. Parties, presents, and ugly sweaters. The art of shaving can't help you with the ugly sweaters, but they can help you impress everyone on your holiday gift list. Maybe you're in a secret Santa with your coworkers, you know what to get. Art of Shaving can help you there. They have spicy and citrusy and warm and woodsy, all kinds of sophisticated fragrances are well suited for anyone at the office. Or maybe you just want to get a gift for yourself that's called self-care. You can get ready for the holiday party circuit from head to mistletoe, get it? By picking up a shaving kit, or you can sign up for the Art of Shaving's convenient replenishment service. It's the gift that keeps giving all year long. Listeners, get a head start on the holidays now. You can get 15% off your first order and free shipping when you use the promo code MEDIA. Visit theartofshaving.com, use my special promo code MEDIA, and you'll get 15% off your first order and free shipping. By the way, if you want to do this stuff in real life, you can do that too. You can find a retail location near you. They're all over. Get your own personal consultation from the Art of Shaving's own master barbers. Tell them we sent you. Back here with Jenk Uger said it with a question mark. So proud of myself. <laughs> uh, it should have been an exclamation point cuz you nailed it. Cenk Yuger. There you go. From the Young Turks. You want to talk about metrics real quick? This is this sure. is a pet peeve of some people who write about media or cover the media business. Someone will say, "We have this many views on YouTube. The NFL received a Nielsen audience of this many people. The YouTube number is bigger than the Nielsen number. It's a bigger audience." And then people will say, "No, no, it's not you're counting Aggregate views versus an average per minute. What do you think the best apples-to-apples apples comparison for your audience versus traditional TV would be? Yeah, it's a great question. Just for scale. Yeah. I think that uh, the complaint that
2: it's apples-to-oranges is fair. Uh, I also think that human beings are human beings, and if they watch you, they're real. Uh, I also think that the online numbers are Way more credible than TV numbers, and usually the industry has it backwards. They think, well, Nielsen put a finger in the wind and decided yeah. that this was your TV audience. No, no, we know with great certainty what our audience is. I mean, it is measured down to uh, a you know granular level. So um, sometimes,
0: right? There's, the, yeah. I, mean, I mean, you know, there's Facebook counts of is three seconds. Mm-hmm. Is that really a view? right? And what does Nielsen count of us? No one knows. I mean, you get into radio, and yeah, that's. No. People That's are literally writing up. down. I think I listened to this last night.
2: Exactly, it's just the most made-up numbers you've yeah. ever seen. So, and to honestly, be fair, that
0: stuff is getting better. They actually are measuring that stuff digitally now. Yeah,
2: a little bit better. That's right. But look at that, right? Uh, so they're measuring it digitally now. Yeah. Hence, it is better. Yeah. Okay. So advertisers, unfortunately, and now you can tell, there's yeah. a pet peeve of mine that will go. Okay, I'm going to be incredibly uh, demanding of you and your numbers, and that which I actually think is fair. And then they'll turn around and go TV. No, I don't care. I don't know. Uh, blah. I'm just going to give them money. Yeah.
0: Okay. Because so, I will not get fired for giving them money. Yeah.
2: Well, they should be. They should all be fired for it. Uh, okay. So they're not going to like hearing that. But so if your uh, brand strategy is blah. Uh, that is a terrible, terrible strategy, and so, And I've talked to people. They, they, I want to yeah, know what these the bl- marketing plan is. Yeah. Okay. Wait. Okay. How do you know how many people are watching you and how many people converted mm-hmm. on TV? Uh, I don't know anything about TV, but I hear that I have to be on it. Wow. That is trenchant. Okay. So anyway, uh, 250 million views overall per uh, for uh, all of our platforms combined—YouTube, Facebook—per month. Right. Okay. So uh, unique viewers are much harder to measure. So we say in the ballpark of 60 to 70 million based on the numbers that YouTube and Facebook and others give us. You think 60 to 70 million people are checking you out once a month or Yes. More? You walk around with me in the streets of New York and you'll see how true that is. Okay. So we are the... Most Six zero to seven zero.
0: Yes, giant numbers, giant numbers. We are the most famous non-celebrities in the world. <laughs> so you should have been arriving here in a helicopter, right? But I think I, think, I don't think you did. Um, you should be rolling in money if you have an audience that is that big. And, and now we're getting to the heart of the passion. issue. There we go. Okay.
2: So the audience is. I one. I'll just give you a sense of it. Like one random day, uh, I'm going to Portugal for the Web Summit, and I don't know, you know. I don't look like I do necessarily on air, right? I don't have a jacket on. I got glasses on, etc. You look like a guy. I look like a dude, right? So uh, two people at the LA airport, two people in the Paris airport, three people in the Portugal airport uh, all wanting to take pictures, etc. But if you don't watch the Young Turks, you don't know me at all. So whereas no one watches Anderson Cooper, but everyone knows him. Uh huh. So it's an interesting phenomenon. And part of the reason for that is because TV and old media – is and and it's not because they've made a political decision or anything. They just live in that world. They're biased towards old media. They think, oh, if you have a million people who watch you on TV, you're a huge star, and we're going to give you twenty magazine covers, and yeah. we're
0: going to talk about you nonstop you, you have, think that's why people recognize Anderson Cooper, because they've seen him other places than on CNN? 100%. Not, so and, and they see
2: CNN at the pizza shop and at the bar, right? and they see him out of the corner of their eye. But nobody watches Anderson Cooper.
0: So either they're recognizing him for reasons other than the, the thing that he does, or they're recognizing him because of the thing that he does, which has a lot of reach, and, and maybe TV is a bigger deal than you think.
2: No. No. Okay, and so – Look, we know what his numbers are. I mean, on a good night, he's probably about a million people. On a good, good night, yeah, that's. Yeah, people what,
0: always overestimate the, the reach of cable news. But yeah,
2: so that's one people th- know who Bill O'Reilly
0: is, right? He, yeah. again, had this smallish audience.
2: Yeah, so one million people is one third of 1% of the country. Now, it is night after night. I yep. grant him that. And he is in the pizza shops and the bars. And uh, much more importantly, you know where he is? He's in every uh, radio station, newspaper, and local news uh, and congressional office they all have tv on and it's all turned to the cable news guys that's why in their world they are they think Anderson Cooper as of the world are so so important when in reality no human beings watch them and the human beings who watch them are really old 61 years old on average for cnn o'reilly you mentioned his average age was 72 for his viewers yeah. 72 that means if you're he's got a 42 year old uh, watching him that means he has to have a 102-year-old watching him to get an average of 72. So those the only reason those cable news guys are relevant is because we give them relevance.
0: There's also a sphere of people in politics, right, who take them seriously, who will go on their shows, who will grant them an interview. Granted, who a president will grant an interview has changed over the last few years, both with Trump and, and- and Obama, right? Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, Obama did a bunch of digital stuff. Trump randomly is doing Infowars interviews. So it's it's there's less of a gap between established media and digital than there used to be. Yeah, but some of it is who those people granted interviews to, yeah. right? And so that let's take an awards. example
2: uh, of that's not us that I don't necessarily agree with all the time, and it's just a guy rather than a network. Uh, Phil DeFranco, okay, uh-huh. on YouTube. Uh, His audience is clearly larger than the cable news audience. Take any show on CNN and take Phil's show on YouTube. Phil's show is by any metric larger. And he gets 0% coverage, 0% of 0%. Why? Because the people in power go, (laughs) this guy on YouTube with all his audience. It doesn't count.
0: They don't even see him. Yeah, they don't
2: see him. They don't know him. He's invisible to them. And They might
0: have heard of PewDiePie. Yeah um and only because of the country the ne- they maybe they heard of logan paul in the last there's usually one no way those. they heard
2: of logan paul you poll washington i'd be shocked if one percent had heard i think of logan you're right paul. about that but yeah. i think generally people say oh there's a guy out there there's a guy there's out some there, right. there's a new version of pewdiepie out there yeah so then why hasn't the money moved because uh i am definitely the poorest famous person in the country if i am famous right i'm not a celebrity because, again, no one that doesn't watch us knows us, right? You're TSA
0: uh, famous, though.
2: I am TSA famous. <laughs> Almost every TSA agent knows us. Yeah, That's a whole other thing. So it's because uh, people are still stuck. They're stuck in the old ways. It's comfortable. It's easy. I know Bob. I've been buying from Bob for 20 years. I know what Nielsen is, right or wrong. Internet numbers scare me. I don't, it's work. It's work. I got to figure this out. I don't want to
0: figure it out. I just want to buy from Bob. So what's the solve here? Is it, and by the way, is is your issue, I want more respect from the establishment, I want them to pay attention to me, or I don't really care if the establishment respects me, I just need some ad money because I need to keep this thing going. Probably the latter. Yeah. (laughs) So respect, who cares
2: about their respect? Uh, Look, we're anti-establishment, so I, I don't need them to like me, I don't need them to give me a pat on the back, but... One of the problems it creates, there's two different issues. One is the financial one that you're justifiably pointing out. The other is a political one. So cable news won't allow anyone who sports Bernie Sanders uh, on TV. And then they'll turn around and go, well, you guys don't have any stars because you didn't put any of them on. And then you claim since you don't know them, they're not stars. It's circular reasoning. And then and in politics, name recognition matters a lot. So when they starved Bernie Sanders of attention in 2015, they robbed him of an equal playing field. When they showered Donald Trump with attention in 2015, they gave him an unbelievable advantage. So cable news, for as little people as watch them, since they have that media multiplier effect that I've been talking about
0: here – it does make a big difference. It is funny. We're spending a lot of time and justifiably on on Russia and Facebook and the online guys and what responsibility they did or didn't have in the election, but the whole issue of how the press covered and didn't cover Trump and how they treated him—that um, was of intense interest to us, sort of up through the election and right afterwards, and then now we've moved on from it. Um, but like he pointed out, like that he got an enormous amount of publicity and airtime. Well, look, the, you the know- counter is. People voted for him. They should have. They sh- he should have gotten a lot of airtime. Well, a lot of candidate. people voted
2: for Bernie Sanders, and he got almost no airtime right. in 2015. So, look, you, you know, you just phrased it in a way that, I, honestly, I would never uh, quite articulated. So, one, the thing that I talk about sometimes recently, because of the Donna Brazile uh, admissions, is you say, "Okay, the Russians meddled in the general election." I believe that that's true, and I think that was terrible. Uh, but the DNC meddled in the primaries far worse admittedly worse. Uh, Russia had a small effect. The DNC had a giant effect on the primary. So why aren't we investigating the DNC, et cetera, et cetera? And then now what you point out is who had a bigger effect, Russia in the general election or cable news that gave Donald Trump billions of dollars of free media? Cable news clearly had a way, way larger effect. And that was definitely pro-Trump in not their coverage uh, it editorially but in the quantity of their coverage if they had given the same quantity of coverage to bernie sanders even if they uh, like they did every time called him a socialist and they hate him and it's unrealistic trump's okay but bernie sanders is unrealistic people really really like him but we don't like him in washington and new york because he threatens our power i don't care do that okay and uh, then he would have at least had a fighting chance
0: but instead they drowned him in silence I want to remind you that today's show is also brought to you by HP. They've got a new podcast that you should be listening to.
1: What does machine learning have to do with autonomous driving? How do you build a powerful open source community? Will the cloud really consume the world? Tune in to Stack That, a new podcast from Hewlett Packard Enterprise to dive into the world of emerging trends and learn how you can leverage this tech for the benefit of your business. Each week, our hosts Byron Reese of GigaOM and Florian Leibert of Mesosphere will tackle a new topic with the help of guests from Airbnb, Google, Confluent, and other industry experts. Check out Stack That on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and news.hpe.com. And make sure to subscribe so you don't miss the latest episodes.
0: What happens for you guys sort of the next election cycle? Do you, I mean, Bernie is still existing, but at some point you need to move. Who carries the mantle for Bernie and your audience? Who, who where does that energy go? So no matter what happens, whether it's Trump or Pence, Bernie or someone
2: else on the left, we're, we're the home of the revolution. We believe in the revolution and we believe in change. We're going to get money out of politics. We're going to end the corruption. And we do media uh, differently than everybody else. We give you the facts. Then we give you analysis. And then we tell you how we are going to participate in change, which makes the rest of the media, you know, very, very angry. They're like, no, status quo was awesome. Media is not supposed to change things. You're just supposed to accept it and bow your head. We don't do that, and our audience loves us for it. So likely it will be Bernie, and Bernie will be the next president of the United States. If it's for whatever reason he decides not. If he runs, he wins. It's a no-brainer. It's not even close. I will bet money on that one. Uh, Let's do it right now, $100. Good
0: deal.
2: Okay. If he runs, he wins. Okay? Uh, So it's on the air. That's awesome. And it's 20, when it's I collect? Yeah, 20, 2017. Right. 100% we're going to collect on it unless it's – I just figured out a, uh, a monetization strategy for this podcast. I side bets. side <laughs> uh, And for us as well. Uh, if he doesn't run, then the Democratic primary is going to be an awesome mess and it will likely be – a progressive that uh, most of Washington doesn't know or, or care about, someone like Nina Turner running our revolution uh, will come uh, rise up and progressives will love her and will fight and will win.
0: What's your take on technology in Silicon Valley and their influence and or lack of influence in, in politics right now? We, aside from Facebook and, and manipulation of views, right? All this money, smartest people in the world in Silicon Valley, they were shocked at the Trump election. We've written a little bit about sort of Reid Hoffman and sort of some of the responses we're seeing. But I'm surprised that there is not more, at least that I can see, moving from Silicon Valley to the rest of politics. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, look, it's, that's a mixed bag. So there's the, the downside of Silicon Valley. One is that they're huge funders and and they have funded monstrous things like Donald Trump in the form of Peter Thiel. So that is not a positive effect in the world. Uh, but there's a huge upside, which is that they have protected net neutrality. To me, net neutrality is everything. If you close that window, then there's no dissent left. I think
0: it's – we're recording this again right before Thanksgiving. This might pop up a little afterwards. But I think they're going to formally shut down net neutrality next week, right? They're going to try. I cannot emphasize enough
2: how much uh, we cannot let them do that. I think it's a done deal. Uh,
0: Well, we're going to undo it then. I mean, Uh, I think the only way you undo it is if you elect a president who who feels strongly about it and he or she appoints an FCC that responds to that.
2: We must. We must win in 2020. If they they win in 2020 and they shut net neutrality down forever, uh, then they already have a monopoly on TV, the powerful do, and then they will have a monopoly on the internet and then we're done. So under, I mean, 2020 is going to be the battle of a lifetime. There's no way we let a conservative or establishment person get the presidency in 2020.
0: And behind me is the pitchforks. Uh, we're not going to let it happen under no circumstances. How did you get to this stage in your life? What made you an, an angry anti-establishment person who also wanted fame? <laughs> it's a good question. You know, I was a liberal
2: Republican. Uh, Growing up in New Jersey. Now, that doesn't exist anymore. Now, if you're a Republican, you have to think that – Tax cuts for the rich are awesome. Torture is awesome. More war is awesome. You know, you get the whole picture. So there's, there's no liberals left in the Republican. There's no moderates left in the Republican Party, and and that is partly the answer. Yeah, it, Richard Nixon would be considered a liberal? Oh, today, massively, massively. I mean, he did price controls. That's actually yeah. too liberal. So he started the EPA. He started OSHA, yeah. and and he didn't want to do it. He's a bad guy. Ralph Nader made him do it. That was before money in politics. That that's why we were winning. Now with uh, uh, the corruption, all they do is every one of these sons of bitches works for uh, whoever pays them. They're all bought. It's all bribes. It's, we legalize bribery in this country. America, unfortunately, has become the most corrupt country in the world because bribery, and at least in other countries, is illegal. Here we made it legal. It's called campaign contributions. So what made – What was your conversion moment? Iraq War definitely, I'm gone. I'm gone from. The, I, I had already voted for Gore because I watched the debates and I said, well, you know, one guy's smart, and the other guy's an idiot. I don't know why no one on TV will acknowledge that the guy's an idiot. I, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there as a Republican, going, this man is a moron. And What were you doing what,
0: beyond being angry about the Iraq War? What were you? How were you paying your bills? So at that point, I'm a struggling uh, talk show host. So, so you've always wanted
2: to be a talk show? like you Well, said I beginning. originally started as a lawyer, uh-huh. but for like three seconds, and then I started doing public access, then radio, uh, you know, weekends, fill-in radio hosts. In New Jersey? No, at that point I'm in D.C. Uh I did some fill-in stuff in Boston. Then I go work in TV in Miami, and then I start The Young Turks uh, in L.A. But all the stuff that I'm describing, Peter, is my overall macro conversion moment. So – why are we going in and destroying the Middle East? Uh, it's because Dick Cheney got a $34 million exit package from Halliburton, and he would like to give more oil contracts and defense contracts to his former work uh, company. Yes, that's why. That's why we did it. Okay, that's, And then instability in the Middle East creates higher oil prices, and those guys bought almost every politician in the country. So screw that, and then they start torturing people, and then they never balance the budget, and then the list goes on and on. And then and if you follow the news – and you're at all observant, you will realize that they don't have any principled positions. They don't have any policy positions. They will do almost everything their donors tell them to do. So the problem is corruption. The answer is get money out of politics. Otherwise, we're all wasting our time. I want to go back
0: to your bio for a second. So apparently there's tapes of Glenn Beck in his earlier days when he was just a regular DJ. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rush Limbaugh had another version of Rush Limbaugh before he was Rush Limbaugh. Is there was there a Republican version of Jenk at mm-hmm. some point on on air? So the the old public access tapes and, and yeah. radio tapes, but we were somebody already made a
2: movie out of it. Yeah, it's called Mad as Hell. You should you should watch it. Is it the same politics but just with a different label, or you actually changed your politics? It's a little bit of both. So I, I was always pro-sex. I want to be clear about that. <laughs> I was always liberal on, on social issues. Uh, and you could see it in the old tapes. And uh, they actually started losing me in the Clinton impeachment because uh, I didn't like Clinton. Uh, and I think I'm still right about a lot of those issues. Uh, but I'm like, you're going to impeach him over that? That doesn't seem right. And that's when I began to realize they, they, they were not honest actors. And so... I was for fiscal responsibility. I'm still for fiscal responsibility. It's just the Republicans just said, oh, yeah, we're just kidding. I mean, look, look at what they just did. Oh, we're kidding about the debt. We never cared about the debt. It was a lie. Yeah. Uh, we're going to add $1.5 trillion to the debt because we want to give uh, tax cuts to our donors. Thank you very much for the admission, confession. So I haven't changed that much on the issues. It's just the Republicans have
0: become monstrous and they stopped pretending. And when did you find, oh, there's an audience that responds to this? I mean, we didn't think there was, but there is. Or did you always know that audience was out there?
2: Look, logically, I knew it was right. out there because if but you But there look was it- no
0: evidence of it public, right? Mm-hmm. There was no
2: lefty, big media organization. That's right. Um, and so – You look at the polling, forget, you know, the elections are bathed in money. But you look at policy issues, this country is about 60% progressive, okay? And I can show you a dozen polls that clearly show it's solidly 60% progressive. But there was no media. And so what I realized way later is the reason there was no media is because almost all the media is owned by multi-billion-dollar corporations. You don't want to rock the boat if it's your boat. So then when YouTube came about, they took away the gatekeepers – And that's when we started exploding. So it was one thing to kind of try to struggle to get on
0: air in different radio markets. YouTube clicked for you. Right. YouTube was the game changer. It's funny because people are – again, when you see discussions of YouTube in mainstream media, there's – people sort of get – there's PewDiePie and there's other weird stuff the times has been putting youtube under a lot more scrutiny so both for in terms of its its lack of filters for some stuff and then i think people have started picking up on the idea that oh YouTube's actually a place where a lot of folks in the right wing and very far right wing are hanging out again the the notion that it's also a place for progressive politics and there's a big audience there doesn't seem to register yeah it is i don't think it's conscious but for whatever reason we're invisible
2: to them i think it's because of their we're anti-establishment, and they're the establishment. And I think that it's not that that makes them angry, but for whatever reason, it makes them go, oh, that must not exist.
0: Right. I mean, to be fair, right, you're also not flooding the airways with fake news after a mass shooting. Right. right? And, Which, that is and that exactly should be scrutinized, right. and, and, and people should know how that's working. And that is a problem for YouTube. And since you're none of those things – You shouldn't be the subject of that story, right? So, Peter, that's a great point because
2: bad behavior is rewarded with media coverage. So, Tommy Lauren now is uh, very well known. She's what – I don't know if she's 13 or 14 – and uh, she has no substantive opinions. But what she does is she goes out there and goes, OK, I don't like black people. I think they're terrorists. Oh, my God, everybody cover Tommy Lardo. She says something outrageous. Yeah. To, and and he gets a ton of coverage. You say something rational,
0: people are like, oh, boring. That's rational. I mean, that that's metapors. what the
2: establishment says. And, and I get it. And
0: yeah. I get the logic of it. But the audience actually loves it. So you're going to spend the next few years pushing for Bernie Sanders and or a proxy for Bernie Sanders on the business side. What's the plan?
2: Same thing, home of the revolution. So uh, if you believe in the revolution and
0: you believe in
2: independent media, you come support us. Uh, We've got a subscription business. And if you want our ties to be connected to advertisers – then don't subscribe, and then we'll have to cater to advertisers. We still do to some degree, but I would much rather have the base of our revenue come from the audience so that we are financially tied to our audience. I was going to say
0: that revolution pitch may be a problem for advertisers, right? Yeah. yeah. It's harder to sell beer or Viagra.
2: We are perfectly cognizant of that. We're aware of that, and we have made a decision to be audience first. So the majority of your revenue right now, subscription? Not majority, but the largest chunk of the pie. You'd like it to be. Yes, I'd love it for most of our revenue to be tied to our audience because you want your financial incentive aligned with your audience so that you serve
0: them. Okay. And you're giving me $100 in 2020 or sooner if Bernie's not running, right? I can collect sooner.
2: No, no. If Bernie's not running, the bet's off. I'm saying if
0: Bernie runs, he he wins. No
2: question about it. But we'll talk before then. Sure. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I guess I got to wait till election night to collect from you. Yeah, but I'll see you before that.
0: Okay. Thanks, thanks for sure. coming, Check. All right. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks to you guys for listening. As always, well, this is also a free service. All we ask from you, you don't have to pay us a dime. Just tell someone else about this podcast. That is how other people can put it in their ears. If you want to see this stuff live, that does cost money, but there's a good reason for it. There's an awesome Code Media Conference. February 12th and 13th in sunny California. Kara Swisher and I are going to talk to all kinds of interesting media people. Uh, you can learn more about that at recode.net. Thanks to our sponsors. And thanks to Cadence 13, who brings those sponsors to you so you can listen to Recode Media for free. Thanks to my producers, Beth O'Connell, Eric Johnson, and my editor, Chris Basil. Thanks to you guys. I will see you next week.
1: What does machine learning have to do with autonomous driving? How do you build a powerful open source community? Will the cloud really consume the world? Tune in to Stack That, a new podcast from Hewlett Packard Enterprise, to dive into the world of emerging trends and learn how you can leverage this tech for the benefit of your business. Each week, our hosts Byron Reese of GigaOM and Florian Leibert of Mesosphere will tackle a new topic with the help of guests from Airbnb, Google, Confluent, and other industry experts. Check out Stack That on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and News.hbe.com. And make sure to subscribe so you don't miss the latest episodes.